0: Good morning, Happy Tuesday. I think people are still getting over sicknesses. It's a little thin. Uh, thank you for your prayers. I made it back safely. Um, I had to my posted my video last week, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna make sure they know I'm really in a blizzard. So I angled myself, you know so you can see all the snow. Um, they had sixteen inches by the time I left. Um, and it had snowed all day, and so I was worried we weren't going to make our flight. And we drove all the way in the snow, in a snowstorm about an hour and a half to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And uh, thankfully, we were the only flight in the airport. If you've been to Sioux Falls airport, it's super small, made it out. Violet was hopped up on Benadryl, so she just passed out the whole way. So it was like the best three hours of my life. It was great. Um, But I am happy to be back. I miss the the sun and that vitamin D. So I am thanking the Lord for the sun today because a week in the cold where it's just dark and dreary is not great for mental health. So happy to be back. Um, Just a couple of announcements this morning. Last week I had talked to you on the screen a little bit about a special event that Shannon will be doing next week out in Queen Creek, which is my area of town. Um, So if you know any high school girls who are wanting to maybe caravan down to Queen Creek, um, this is a special event uh, just for high schoolers. There is um, award-winning artist Leanna Crawford. She was there last year and she's amazing. She's phenomenal. She's so great. So good with the girls, um, has an amazing voice and a really, really beautiful story. So she'll be doing the worship and then Shannon will be speaking. I know she got anxious when I said she was talking about anxiety. Um, so she's just going to provide a short message to the girls and hopefully it's just a night where they can be encouraged. Um, I was a high school teacher and I know that it's really hard for girls to be in high school in this day and age. So if you know any girl that's interested, you can email Rachel Brandon um, at live.com and she will get you signed up. Um, there's there'll be a photo booth, there'll be some prizes, things like that. Um, so that's just a really great event. So that's next Thursday from 6 to 8 p.m. Uh, if you missed the episode last week, it's on the website, it's on a podcast, and it's on YouTube as well. Please do us a favor and share that with anyone that you may know um, who is looking for a series. They can go back and start in September and catch up with us. Uh, that's all I have for you. Good to see you. Have a great Tuesday. Just a minute.
1: Um, Okay, so I was listening. I I hummed to you guys a little bit last week. uh, Phillips, Craig, and Dean, Mercy came a-running, right? So y'all are like, I don't know what you did last week. Well, I did. That's what I did for you. And um, remember, we have this theme that we're watching through the book of Acts, how I keep saying God is being let out of the box, right? Not that God was ever contained in a box, but that's how... They were living, and and remember when I talked to you about how the whole image of the veil being torn in two, that the majority of the time, it's preached that we have access through Jesus to the presence of God, which is true, but it's also... Uh, referring to when Jesus leaves that temple the last time. Do you remember what he said? Your house lays to you desolate, empty. And so when the curtain is uh, torn from top to bottom, it's also this idea that the spirit of God is what? has been released, like Joel says, poured out on all flesh. And so uh, the kingdom of heaven has come and it has been released and it's about to set on fire, right? And that's uh, a, a picture of it. And it also refers, in my mind, to the upper room where he says, you ain't seen nothing yet, right? And so if if you don't know all of that context sometimes, you don't really get the context of some worship songs, or, and this is old, and I know I'm dating myself, Phillips, Craig, and Dean. I don't care. They're awesome, okay? And so I thought, I'm a, I was listening to it on the way here, and I was like a charismatic woman. I was driving with one hand. I was, I was so good. And So I think y'all need to be in your spirit where I am in mine. So I'm going to have him play, and I'm actually, listen, put the words, the words are going to be up there so that you can really experience the words of this song, okay? Uh, and so here you go, and we'll fire you up.
2: Once there was a holy place, of Almost see mercy's face Pressed against the veil He's looking down with a longing eye Mercy must have a real life Once his blood was sacrificed Freedom would prevail And as the sky grew dark, and the earth began to shake, with justice no longer.
1: fire your woods wet you guys that song it's it can't you picture it mercy face against the veil right and when the debt was paid when justice was satisfied what happened bam mercy came a running and you can just see it all through the book of acts is the spirit of God released. You ain't seen nothing yet. The kingdom has come and it has been released and it is growing and is that little stone that Daniel talks about that grows into a mountain that fills the earth. Yes, the beasts will roar, they will roar, but it's, it's birth pains because what is growing? Mercy came a running. And then did you notice in that song, it's so true, we have a tendency to re-imprison ourselves to build structures and walls, because for some reason it makes us feel uh, safe. And the fact is, no, it's mercy. Mercy comes running, comes to where my need is. I needed a new heart. I needed to be born anew, born again. Oh, such a good song. Are y'all awake this morning? Are y'all not as charismatic as me this morning? So what I want you to do, because I know a lot of you aren't as free, you know, is turn that song on in your car when you leave here at the just really high and just picture that in your mind. And I promise you, you'll be driving with one hand in about five minutes. So it's so good. All right. Open up your Bibles um, to Acts chapter six. All right. Now let me pray and ask God, to, the Holy Spirit, to really do his thing. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you. Um, I thank you for the written word. I thank you for the living word. I thank you for the word and music and worship and praise. God, I thank you for all the different ways that you put truth into us. And so, God, I, I thank you that we can have incredible joy and celebration for what you have done, it is marvelous. The story of um, redemption is marvelous. And so, God, when we see that, when we see that truth, the Spirit comes out in us. And so, God, I pray that we would be free to express that. Um, I love you. I pray that the Holy Spirit will be powerful today, that you will teach through me, that you will teach me through me. Um, today that we will experience that together. I love you in Jesus name. Amen. Okay. I want to, uh, remember where we've been, right? They, they've been arrested. Who's they? (laughs) I always say they Peter and John have been arrested, right? They were thrown in the slammer. The angel released them. They went back to the temple, um, to preach. Then they were taken, but not by force. Because they feared the people and they brought them in and told them, basically, you stop this, right? And then the statement was made, uh, we will follow God, not man. And then uh, they began to preach. They were just enraged, wanting to kill them. But who spoke up? Gamaliel, that guy, that guy spoke up. Gamaliel, and <laughs> he said, I love that. He said, listen, guys, here's the thing. There have been people rise up before that have started great movements and, and they, they got some momentum, but in the end, what happened? They died. They, it fell apart. It did not last. So if this is of man, it's not gonna last, right? But is, if it is of God, you won't be able to stop it. And you better be careful because you might find yourself fighting against God. And we talked about the school of thought that he came from, uh, the, the amazing rabbi by the name of Hillel that basically said, evil cannot bear up under its own weight, that eventually it will crumble. And we watch this in our world. Uh, you can even... Um, I see it in psychology all the time with brutal dictators uh, who rule by force, who it is a human movement. Eventually, what happens? It comes back and it ends up crumbling, we talked about last week, because... Halil said, when it comes to facing someone like Herod, if we go toe-to-toe, it's going to be a bloodbath, and I am unwilling to uh, kill Jews trying to save them. It will not last. Rome will... uh basically be its own demise, right? So his whole thought was, time will tell. Let it run its course. We have a spiritual empire to build over here simultaneously, parallel. So that was kind of his philosophy. Gamaliel uh, was in that school of thought, and so he promoted that. He said, time will tell, right? So let it be. So what did they do? They beat the living crud out of them. They flogged them and they let them go. And at the end of chapter five, what is it? How does it? How did they respond to that beating? Right. They actually experienced joy and praised the Lord to can that they were considered so well to be able to suffer for the sake of Jesus. Right. So they considered this persecution, this suffering, a joy to be in good company with Jesus, right? Who also suffered. And then they go back. And what is the last thing that it says? They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the King. He is who he said he was. So it, it stopped nothing. All right, you ready? Here we are. Chapter six. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word and what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon and Par- whoever that is, and Nicholas and the, pro- the proselyte of Antioch. These they sat before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Hmm, isn't that interesting? So, let's think about where we've been, okay? Okay. Um, It says that, first off, that the disciples are growing and growing and growing, okay? The followers of Jesus in the way, you're seeing great growth. And then you see a complaint. So I want you to see some. I want you to see kind of the pattern of what the enemy is doing. So I just basically made an outline kind of, of, of where we've been, okay? We saw the coming of the Spirit at Pentecost, right? Peter's first sermon. And right there, you see uh, Jesus or God doing math because many were added to the body, right? And we see a community totally changed. We looked at that. Do you remember that? The community was changed. We talked about koinonia, that they dedicated themselves to the teaching of the apostles. They lived as one family with one person. So the community is totally changed. So believers have been added. Then we saw the beggar healed. And Peter's second sermon. And now it says that the number grew. So it is still adding. God is a God of math. My mom just rolled her eyes, I'm sure. Um, But then Peter and John were arrested. Do you remember? And persecution began. And the teaching of Jesus was basically outlawed. We have made this illegal. Don't do it. They're persecuted and they're, giving a, they're given a harsh warning, okay? Then they still go out and they're still teaching. And by the way, after that persecution, that first arrest, it said that the community grew. So there's incredible growth because they're continuing to preach the word no matter what persecution is happening. Then came corruption. Do you remember? From within. Who was it? Ananias and Sapphira, okay? And you, we see God bring swift judgment. So we see another mathematical situation happen. It's called subtraction, okay? But it wasn't, it wasn't the job of the people. God did that. He uncovered it and he subtracted two, right, from the fold. But they are continuing to preach. They are continuing to perform signs and wonders, And then it says, more than ever, believers were added, multitudes of men and women. So we see addition, we see subtraction, we see multiplication. All right. A lot of mathematical things are happening. Then they're arrested again. And then the angel releases them. They go back to the temple Uh, They're brought in again, but not by force. And they make the statement, we must obey God and not man. This time they are beat to a bloody pulp and they are released. And it says at the end, what was the last verse we just read? They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And in chapter six, verse one, what does it say? The disciples were increasing in number. So what I want you to see is that persecution did not work. Matter of fact, persecution most times does what? Yeah, it makes it better. You see incredible growth in that situation. Corruption did not work because God came in and uncovered quickly and stopped it. Because remember, something new was coming and he was not going to allow that corrupt seed to take root at this point. But now we see something happen mathematically that God never does, and that's division. We do that, okay? And so it starts with incredible growth. That's good news, right? Uh, But gospel growth always brings blessing and problems and opportunities. I love what Skip Hedzik, I think is how you say his last name, um out of uh New Mexico he said where the light where the light is the bugs will come all right so and from I'm from Arkansas I know bugs. Okay, so that is true. When the light is turned on, when the word is preached, the bugs will come, and we're watching this. And so this time it comes through complaint, uh, trying to divide. So the good news is that the church is growing. The bad news is that people are complaining, all right? And the issue is there needs to be some change here and some organization. Now... How many times do we hear people say, I don't, I'm just not a part of organized religion. Do you ever hear that? I hear it all, so. And I think, oh, okay. Well, are you a part of disorganized religion? Right? Because the fact is that we need organization. How do we operate in a family Okay, without any organization. And part of the problem is this family is growing exponentially and they're attempting to live as one family, one common way, one common purse. And as it grows larger and larger, what is going to happen? There are going to be larger and larger issues that you have to look and you have to figure out how to organize. Here's the thing. People say they don't like organized religion. My God is a God of organization. See, he, he likes he's involved with both. He created a world that is alive and it is living and there was freedom. But within the creation of that world, there was also what? Order. There were also limits because within that order and within those limits, life can flourish. Right. I used to say all the time when I taught school, I would come in and I thought, well, they're not going to like me at first, but that's the way it ought to be, to be quite honest, if you teach school. I couldn't teach school now. I would get fired probably in two weeks because I just couldn't do it. But um, But I would always set the ground rules, right? The place was organized, we had limits, and we had a culture that I taught in my class. And I held to that culture because within that, guess what could happen? Life could happen. I created a life in my classroom. I was happy to see those faces every day. I couldn't wait. I met them at the door. I couldn't wait to get a hold of them. I loved them, but we had order because I can't teach anything in chaos right? If the inmates are running the place, that is not good. And so there had to be some order. Well, now they're growing and there are problems coming up, which are opportunities, right? To fix and to grow. And we're seeing what's going on. Can you imagine the problem that in a short period of time they've gone from 120 and an upper room to we know over 5,000, thousands have joined. And so they're still trying to live as one family, one community, one purse, and they're having daily distributions. Why? Because this is communism? No, it's communism. And their lives have changed. They're sharing in Christ and they're sharing themselves and sharing their goods. And remember, by it being in the way, their lives have changed, right? Probably some have lost their jobs. To be baptized into this way literally literally meant the death of one family and the taking on of a new family. Things have changed there because they are followers of Christ. Not to mention that there, why, why is the issue with widows? Okay. Well, first off in the law, they were told to care for widows. So that's a part of the law responsibility. They're still taking that on. And you have to remember that as people aged, even if they lived away, a lot of times they would come back to Jerusalem because they wanted to die there because they wanted to be buried there. And so you had a lot of older population, but the fact is, There is a complaint. Um, I want to make sure I'm telling you everything. Oh, it reminded me of, um, remember Moses in the wilderness when he finally gets all the 2 million people out there camped around the tabernacle? And do you remember what he's doing? He's trying to judge and settle all their disputes. Um, And this is, you know, all the different tribes come together. And what does his father-in-law tell him? You can't do this all on your own. And so he tells him to delegate. And so uh, we're seeing a lot of this happen. Now, the complaint is between um, two, but let me make sure I, I want. Oh, yeah, it's coming. The complaint is between who? The Greeks and the Jews. Okay, now listen, they are both in the way they are both in the family, but now we have Hellenist or Greek speaking, uh, Jews and we have Aramaic speaking Jews. Okay. And there's a huge difference between the two. So not only is it an issue of number, it's an issue of diversity. And so you have these Jews who have come probably out of the d- diaspora. Do you know what I'm talking about? When the Jewish people were scattered all over, and they have now come back. They're in Jerusalem. They're Greek-speaking. They read the Septuagint, which is the scriptures that have been written in Greek. They go to their own synagogues with their people, reading their scriptures with their language. And so we have a difference here. And then you have the uh, Jewish... the Aramaic-speaking, Hebrew-speaking Jews, and they read the original Hebrew scriptures. And to be quite honest, they did have an attitude that they were a little bit of a cut above. So, I mean, we have cultural differences. We do the same thing. And so these people spoke Greek. They kind of leaned into the Greek culture. So can you imagine what these devout Aramaic-speaking, Hebrew scriptures only Uh, Jews were like So there's already a difference in culture. And so um, they now have been called together. Possibly too, one of the problems is not just growth, but could there have been a language barrier going on in the distribution of, of all of this help? And so with growth came this, what I wrote as a perceived lack of concern let that sink in. So because of growth, because of culture, because of language, a lot of different things, because the fact that, you know, uh, the 12 couldn't keep up as well as preaching the word and prayer and all of the things, things were falling in the cracks. But the complaint was a perceived lack of care. Have you ever been in a situation where your church grows and grows and grows and it gets bigger and they're having to adjust to that and learn and see where the problems are and organize but what do people always go to and assume? They don't care. They don't care about me anymore. It's gotten so big. It's not personal. You know, they don't they don't care. It's a lack of concern. And you also see this expectation from this issue that the 12 need to solve it. Like, y'all don't care anymore. This is happening. They start to give motives. There's a problem. And then they expect the 12 to fix it. Does that sound familiar? Okay. So it is a complaint that arises. And um, the complaint could be factually true. Okay. So couldn't it be that the Hebrews or or the 12, like their hearts are in the right place, that their hearts are in the right place, but the complaint actually has factual truth. Is that possible? Yes. And so, but it, the complaining So the complaint might be true because of growth, because of language barrier, whatever it is, right? But it doesn't mean there is no concern, right? Don't judge the heart. And so I think we have to be very careful about complaint. I wanted to show you something. Look at Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Complaints, division. So, what does the enemy do? He persecutes and it grows. He uh, is a part of tempting into corruption. The great inner cover up doesn't work. So, what does he try to do? Divide. How? By actually looking at maybe a problem that has arisen out of something great and giving motives and all of a sudden we have these judgments and we have this complaint and it is a potential to really divide the church from the inside and God hates that. That is one mathematical operation that he does not do. And so they summoned all the disciples That is the first time you see the word in Acts, that word, disciples, the disciples that are growing. Remember, it is all of those. They're dedicating themselves to the the teaching of the apostles and to uh, koinonia, to sharing who they are, sharing in Christ, sharing their goods. And so they present it to the entire group of disciples. Disciples follow their rabbis so close, what, that they end up looking like them they duplicate them the dust of the rabbi is all over them and so the 12 come to them and what do they say they don't ever say this is not a problem they say what we we cannot neglect the word and prayer and serve tables and i don't think that they're being haughty because the fact is everybody there knows the necessity and the importance of taking care of the widows and serving the tables. What are they saying? We can't, do, we can't keep up with that. We can't possibly do all that that involves and stay true to the preaching of the word in prayer is what they were called to do as an apostle, the ones that are being sent out. And so they say this, and so they come, and isn't this interesting? I totally see Jesus in these apostles. His dust is all over them. There is a problem, a legit problem. And what do they do? They bring the people in so that everybody sees the problem. And now together, what are we going to do? Figure out how to solve this problem. Do you remember the feeding of the 5,000? Right? Jesus basically, here is the problem, how are we going to feed all of these people? And do you remember the response of the disciples at first? Send them out, get rid of them. Send them home. They're on their own. Go let them handle their own problem, right? But Jesus knew, no, that this is all part of it together. And so now you see the apostles doing this. Okay, what is the problem? Let help us. What is the solution to this problem? And so they bring them in to find a solution. And basically they say, what? Okay. We see. You pick. You pick. What is the good solution? You pick and we will appoint you pick seven, they probably, some people say, you know, that's because that's the number of completion. Uh, I think it's because that's, uh, if you go back and look at kind of how they set up like governmental situations over provinces or issues, cities, they chose seven. So I think they're mimicking their uh, Jewish background, but they said, you choose seven. And maybe it was, you know what, each person got a day of the week. And they, they worked it out practically. But you choose from among you. But here's the deal. Good reputation, right? Someone of good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, so spiritually minded, and wisdom, so practically minded, right? Have you ever met someone who was filled with the Holy Spirit, didn't have any sense, or couldn't relate to people? this person was going to be out around in the masses and was going to be have to be able to be in some ways a mediator between the different ethnicities they were going to have to interact with all kinds of people so they needed to have definitely the power of the holy spirit but they also needed to have a personality that could do that practicality and so they they said they needs to be those things and I wrote a quote down by Barnhouse I thought was so good. It says, someone came up to him one time and said, I'd give the world to be able to teach the Bible like you. And he answered, good, because that's exactly what it's, what it's going to cost you. How in the world? are our, our head teaching pastors, they can't do everything. People get so aggravated. Oh, we're so big right now. Now he doesn't come to funerals and he doesn't go to, you know, he's not going to marry my daughter and uh, she's known him since she was. Do you understand (laughs) to teach in this way? It is a dedication where you have got to focus in on these things and the responsibility that comes with that is sometimes overwhelming, but do you realize too, and this is what got me personally, is it says that we have to dedicate ourselves to preaching and prayer. I think it might have been Spurgeon that made a comment that a lot of pastors are limping their way through life because their preaching leg is a lot longer than their prayer leg, and I thought that was rude. I read that, and I'm like, (laughs) it's like, because I'm like this. Because I don't know about you, but I don't know why that is. And I pray as I study, but I am a much stronger studier and preacher than I am prayer. And I wish that were not true, but I tend to, so you'll see me, I'm going to walk out of here like this today, but I'm working on it. I mean, so they chose seven, they chose Stephen, and isn't it interesting that there's a comment by his name that said, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Why is he the only one commented on? Because the next story, I believe, <laughs> because the next story is about him, you know, and uh, and he kind of rose to that occasion. When you look at the names, did you notice that they're all Greek names? okay that makes a ton of sense, doesn't it? What's the problem? It's a language culture barrier situation that is happening. Maybe they aren't truly meeting all the needs of the Hellenistic widows because they don't understand. There is a barrier there. And so they are choosing seven that have the understanding of that culture, which is a great situation. And so they're all Greek speaking. So what they did is they prayed and they laid their hands on them. I love that. It's an extension of ministry. If you look at the word in Acts 6, 1, which is distribution, and you look at the word in Acts 6, 4, which is ministry, they're actually the same word. Okay. Different types of ministry, but ministry. Right. So serving the tables is in no way less than the preaching and teaching. It's all ministry. It's just different. You're distributing the gift that you have. The ministry that you're in, and we're going to see in this next story that actually just because you're serving the tables doesn't mean that you're never called to speak up and to teach and preach and pray. And we see wonders and signs coming out in Stephen as he is serving the tables. And so you see this play out. So it says, and the word of God continued to increase and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many priests became obedient to the faith. I love that. I don't know why, but don't you think it must have been marvelous for the priests who worked in the temple, they understand religion, to watch this new way And to see things come up, even in persecution, it's growing. In corruption, after that, God handled it. What did it do? It's growing. Now they're growing and they're having to get organized. There's no one more organized than the priests, right? And they're solving their own problems within handling complaints. And they're doing their best to serve their community. And through that, and the teachings and the wonders and the signs and this life working together, this organized religion, who's coming to know the faith? The priests. Man, this is good times. Like, this is awesome. Don't you wish that our churches would always act like this? Right? Right? Be excited about growth. Well, I'm going to tell you, it's not like it used to be here. It's not as personal as it used to be. No one even says hi. They don't even know if I'm here. Or, I mean, growth is great, but they just sat on our pew. I grew up like that. Everybody had a pew. I don't know if they intended to do that, but they sat in that same place and if it started to grow and people got their pew, they were not happy about it. And if they had to scoop back, that meant that the other families had to scoop back. And that was a problem. And then when our needs aren't met, we just assume we give people motives. They don't care. They don't care anymore. Maybe there is actually a problem and they're unaware of it. Maybe we just come together and say, hey, I'm seeing this kind of issue. But if you do, then what? then you need to be a part of the solution of it because you've seen it and we work together and we solve the problem. There has to be some organization about how things lay out so that we do care for our people and that there is life. And there do need to be some limits because if there aren't limits, what other things can grow that we don't want. And so it ain't easy. That's just all I'm telling you. It is not easy to do church. All right? And at the end of the day, I think we need to be um, quick to love, slow to speak, and we need to be a part of the body of Christ together as a family to work together to see how, how best we can do things, right? There you go. End of that. Um. Their growth continued and organization was a part of that. Uh, I want you to see that. Um, They were organized. They knew how many people were saved, right? They listened. Like, I hear that gripe a lot. Oh, all they care about is the number of baptisms that they did. Yes, we care about it, right? Here, it kept telling us, people were added, the number reached what? 5,000, who do you think was probably keeping the record? I think it was Matthew. Have y'all watched The Chosen? He's slightly on the spectrum, right? In their creativity, this is what they've done. But he's so detail-oriented, so I'm sure he had his little notebook back there, and he's writing down, counting and writing down, right? And it's a reason to rejoice, right? We can't be stuck in numbers but to where it's all about numbers, but numbers do bring us some feedback, and we can rejoice in those kinds of numbers. They met in certain places, so there's organization there. They gathered goods to distribute to the poor. Have you ever been a part of that? There has to be some organization. These seven weren't the only ones involved. They were the ones overseeing it. I'm sure there were all kinds of people helping out in this distribution ministry. And sin was confronted and dealt with. We know that with Sapphira and and Ananias. So there was some church, there was accountability within the church. So It was organized. Everybody acts like the early church had no organization. They just met in homes and, you know, it was just a perfect little... No, as it grew, right, they had to become more and more organized and aware. Um, So here's the issue. Point one, they made the need known. They trusted their leadership. They became a part of the solution and... The apostles, they stayed focused. They stayed focused on preaching the word as a witness to what they had seen and the scriptures as as Jesus had taught them and to prayer. And so we move on. All right. You ready? Let's see how far I can get today. Verse 8 in chapter 6. And Stephen, let me see how far I want to read. It doesn't say. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of those in Cilicia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Ooh, this is such a good section. So here we go. We're about to experience uh, Stephen's sermon, right? Which is awesome. It's his first sermon ever. It's the longest sermon in Acts and it's his last sermon, and we're going to see that, but we see right off the bat that Stephen is full of grace and power, and that he is doing wonders and signs before the people. Um, You can just write a bunch of stuff in pencil in this area, because as you sit and ponder, you're like, huh, you know how all of a sudden now is Stephen, he's like teaching and preaching and he's doing signs and wonders and he's a part of the distribution to the widows and he's out in the community. But think about that, right? He is a disciple. So he is learning from the apostles and as he is out doing his ministry, right, of Ministering to the widows. He's in the community, the Greek community, uh, the Aramaic, the Hebrew community, and he is interacting with who? With people, and he is serving, and topics are coming up, differences and debates are coming up, right? And he's preaching what he's learning. He's talking about that with people. And As he sees need, can't you imagine that he's praying over needs? And what is happening? There are signs and wonders. And so he is being a disciple. He is going out in the community and being that. And I can't imagine what debates have arisen amongst the Jews in those areas from the different synagogues. And so that's what we're seeing. It says that it started in the synagogue of the freedmen. Okay, these are Greek-speaking individuals gathering uh, their former slaves from various regions. So former slaves that have been freed from various regions, Jewish people coming together, and it tells what some of the regions. It says Cyrenians, Alexandrians, Cilicia, Asia. Okay, this is going to be important because Cilicia, right? There is a city within that called Tarsus. Who is from Tarsus? Saul, Saul of Tarsus. So as as Stephen is in these Greek speaking neighborhoods and areas, the people in the Jewish synagogues are also, they're rubbing shoulders as they're dealing and taking care of the people in these communities and different debates are coming up. And yet in the debates, what does it say? They started disputing with Stephen but could not withstand his wisdom and spirit. Boy, if uh, Saul... Is a part of these situations, which the majority of people believe that these would be. This would be the synagogue that he would be a part of. Can you imagine some of the heated debating and the fact that Saul, who is, do you remember the apostle Paul, who is the the greatest teacher of all, high Pharisee, is debating with Stephen, and he cannot withstand. The debate and, and the spirit, can you imagine how enraging this was? But also, can you imagine that what, God, what Jesus told the disciples, don't worry when you are persecuted because when you are questioned, I will give you the what? The words to say and the wisdom to Uh, to withstand, but also don't think for one minute he has not been studying and learning because what? They dedicated themselves to the teachings of the apostles. And what have the teachings been like? Like the sermons, going back through their entire narrative, the whole Old Testament and going, do you see? Do you see? Do you see? This is what is happening. And so he is now under debate He's a part of it, and he is revealing the Jesus in the scriptures. And while he's doing that, he is tending to the needs of the people too, words and deed. He's strong in words and deed. And what? The Spirit of God is evident. And don't you love the fact that it talks about that when they looked at him, he had the face of an angel. Who does that remind you of? His face glowed. Who does that remind you of? Moses, as he spent time in the presence with God, when he came down the mountain and it says his face glowed, right? And from the glory of the Lord. And so you have these little connections and he's going to go into that. Um, But what are the, uh, oh, this drives me crazy. So they instigated others. They stirred them up, made claims gave him titles and put words in his mouth. That drives me nuts. It does. I see it in our world constantly when people can't have a discussion and it begins to be a debate and some of the structures that they have built to to stand on when anyone questions any of those structures that they have built, right? And they don't, what what starts to happen within them? They get heated, okay? Zach used to always, uh, we would always talk about the fact that when you debate people, the more heated you get, you're losing, right? They've got you. And so you can see that the more heated they get, and then what do they do? They start giving the other person titles, saying what they are, or they don't believe in this. Oh, he didn't believe in the Trinity. Okay, so he's not, or they don't believe in this. No, don't put words in their mouth. That is not what they were saying. The fact is you are open-minded enough to listen to the story of what they're trying to weave and they could be saying something very similar to you but you don't like one thing and you shut them off and then you label them. Don't listen to that person, he's a heretic, he doesn't believe in this or they don't believe in that and we are the greatest cancel culture of all in the Christian world. Can I just say this? All right, and so ain't nothing new under the sun. This is what they're doing, and so they are totally giving him titles. So the accusation is this: he speaks against Moses and God, and he speaks against the, against the temple and the law. Okay, that's what they're saying. Now, as far as speaking blasphemy against God, he sets that straight right off the bat. All right. And that's basically where we're going to have to end today, which is oh, so frustrating. But let's look at it because we're going to look at chapter seven, Stephen's speech. It is phenomenal. So would you do me a favor? And this week, would you really familiarize yourself with chapter seven and his speech? Okay. But let's just look at the first part of it. And the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. That's as far as I'm going to get because I'm only going to address what he calls God. Okay. He says the God of glory. All right. That comes directly out of Psalm 29. Okay, so go to, or you can just trust me, go to Psalm 29. Let me just read some of it. I want you to see exactly who he's saying God is. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters, the voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. And strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry, what? Glory. So, what is he saying? He's not worshiping or dishonoring, he's not dishonoring the God of Israel, and he's not worshiping some other God. He calls him the God of glory straight from their Psalms, the God over all creation, the God over the waters. And so he makes that clear. And so then what he's going to do is he's going to know, go, no, I am following and worshiping the same God. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell our story so that you see, isn't it interesting that he does that? Because I'm going to tell you, sometimes the only way to fully give the overall truth is to go back and tell the story. And I'm going to touch on this next week because, you guys, that is so important. We have to understand the biblical narrative story of where it started and where it's going. And you have to know the rhythm of the story because as you teach, you better make sure that you are within the rhythm of that story, okay? And so this is what he does and he's gonna go back and it's gonna be marvelous. And he's gonna show them their history and what they have a propensity to do. Okay, and it's awesome, so don't miss it, all right? Some takeaways of the day. Church ain't easy, right? We're all part of one family. We share in Christ Jesus, and we are to share ourselves and all of our stuff. And by the way, I think one of the things, maybe this is just Shannon, one of the things that really probably got sideways in the debates with Stephen and Saul and all of these, these freedmen who had come back to, uh, to Jerusalem and now they had been slaves and now they are free, okay? I think they started disputing over property because if you think about it, right, what is happening? What do we know is happening within uh, the body, within the new church? They are selling property, and they are taking that and they are giving it to the poor and they're supporting one another by selling property. Property where? In the promised land. And so Jewish people are giving up their inheritance in a physical promised land to do what? To give to this body because now their eyes are not driven by actual dirt, promised land, but what? One that is in the future to come when he comes and sets all things right. Because now it is starting in Israel, but what? The kingdom of heaven is going out through all nations. So they have a foundational dispute going on over The promised land, selling property, and the fact that what is in the center of the promised land if they begin to lose ownership of it? What's up on that? What are they all looking at and fighting over? The temple. All right? And so really, a lot of this is causing a lot of question over the very foundations that they stand on. This promised land, that temple, and the law of God. And I'm going to tell you, we get wild too. When we have built structures, these are the foundations of our faith. And if someone came in trying to hack away at those foundations, what would we do? Ugh, heretic, right? So I'm just saying, we, we get harsh with them, but this was a deal. This was absolutely life-changing seeing something completely different. And, and it wasn't easy, all right? Are there complaints? Yes. Don't be a complainer. Be someone who's a part of the solution. It's not easy doing family. It's not easy doing church. Um, but there has to be organization. There has to be Lord. Thank you so much for today. Um, What a practical lesson today. God, I pray that we would go back and really ponder some of these issues um, of the day. Do we have a critical mindset and heart? Lord, are we actually a part of a family who's working together to serve each other well? Um, Staying true to the teaching of the word and the biblical narrative to know what we're a part of, where we're headed, What it is like, God, it's not easy. So may we love one another in the process. Um, Do not allow the enemy to get in and sow discourse. Lord, I pray we don't even give him a foothold. And the way we can do that, God, is to be like Stephen, honestly. And that is spend so much time with you that our face glows. That is the only way that we have to hear your voice above all else. Lord, I love you. I'm excited to come back next week and look at this amazing sermon from this man, Stephen. We love you, Jesus. Amen.